Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja and review horror at both iHorror.com and KeithRFoster.com. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens. All right, man, you know the rules. So uh, we're, we're going to get to some stuff a little bit later here, but, uh, but, but what'd you do this week? Um, so I did some freelance work. So I haven't had some freelance work in about a month. And honestly, that was a little, it's like a little nerve wracking. Like it's kind of unsettling in a way because I'm, I'm so used to being busy all the time when it comes to art. It's just like, okay, well, I want to draw my book, but I have all these uh, like customers, all these clients that are lined up. So I'm always in a hurry. It's like, okay, let me bang these out. Okay, no, I want to bang out this page. So I find that the busier I am, the more I get done on my comic book. Because since I have the ability to focus just on my comic, I've slowed down. Yep. So like there's that old there's that old adage, that old saying, if you want something done, give it to a busy man. Yeah. And I've found that to be true uh, the majority of my life. So the fact that I have a little bit more time to myself and hit all my goals, I'm like taking it easy. I'm like, yeah, right on. I'll get to that. I got so much time. And then before I know it, the weeks has gone by and I have like a couple of panels done. So um, yeah, got some freelance work in. And uh, banged it out today in record time, I think. I think I finished it in two hours. So, And nice. it's normally uh, about a three-hour process. So, Yeah, I, I, one of my versions of that phrase is it's kind of the downside of it because I guess that's how I, I roll. Uh, lazy begets lazy, right? It, it, it's For me, it's just you. It, if you start to get lazy, it tends to spiral. And if you start to get active, it tends to, quote, up, upward spiral. I'm quoting myself because that's one of my phrases, I guess. I've never heard anyone use it. So everyone else out there can feel free to use it and attribute it to me. And I'll somehow make millions off of off of this amazing catchphrase of mine. But um, so for me. That's right. Yeah. Right next to the happy birthday people. Yeah. The happy birthday people. Exactly. Exactly. So for me, um, my first thing this week is that I got the lettering back for Kadoja Volume 3, Number 4. So that is the fourth chapter in the Kadoja graphic novel. And it um, I was I was happy to see it. Uh, the art is not complete. Uh, Will has done, I think he's done about a... Will Perkins. Let's go with 16, 17, 18 pages of it. But the lettering has some degree of completion and, and some degree of just inks. So there's kind of tones up until about page 17 and then there's inks. And uh, and God damn it, if I didn't do the same thing this issue that I did, I think the last issue. So this is actually a repeat occurrence of something that I did before, which is I, I did mention this, that uh, a mechanism I use a lot in Kadoja is to have either the, the monster fights going on or footage of the monster fights, which allows me to transition. I then zoom in and out of the monster fights into either the special weapons crew the people that are specifically hunting Kandoja and uh, kind of like the executive branch crew, if you want to call them that, the people that are trying to unpack the 
the cosmic awakening, right? This this Lovecrafty element of of giant monster nastiness. And damn it, if I didn't do it again, I had a scene where there is action going on on screen that's saying one thing. There is a television playing that has something else going on, um, and has a person calling in. And then there is a conversation going on on top of that TV. None of those people speaking are actually on screen. So what that makes for is a ton of pullout quotes and a ton of pullout boxes. And um, Eric Grissom, who's been done an amazing job lettering. I mean, he could have just lettered it and been done with it, you know. Um, but instead, he's offered feedback, which has been absolutely wonderful. So he was talking about that. And uh, and I, I am in the process of actually editing it right now. I just got this back like, uh, I think, two days ago. Um, you know, we can talk a little bit about methods because sometimes... Sometimes I really like looking at pictures on a screen. And sometimes I absolutely must for comic pages, for writing, for, you know, chunks of a novel, for whatever. Sometimes I just got to drop all the things into a Word document, print it out and and look at it and hold it in my hand and look at it. And that's something I did a lot with animals that worked at least in the previous draft. I still have a draft or two to go. And it's something that I just wanted to do with this. I just wanted to have it printed out. Don't queue up the balloons. Don't do anything. Just print it out. And so I did that. I actually put lines through stuff and I I worked through a solution I like. Now it's just a matter of doing what I did the last issue, which is figuring out a way to convey the same information, but with less people speaking. And what I ended up finding is there's, you know, there's the, the, stuff on the television that's happening um, and the people that are talking kind of over over it because that's the news feed. And then there's a second conversation going on with people, quote unquote, in the room. And uh, what I realized is a lot of that conversation is to use a writing term business in that I can I can kind of get rid of it. You know what I mean? And uh, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get rid of a whole lot of it. That information that's happening in that conversation, I can deliver it later. I can deliver it in a couple sentences at the end of this book if I want, or I can do it at the beginning of the next volume. So uh, so yeah, it's it's crazy, right? I mean, we we've talked about this a few times. We talked about it last week with Terry. Just the difference. I mean, it's amazing to get art back. It's so great to see all your words and and your, you know, as a writer who who can't draw, your words and your stage direction come to life. You know what I mean? With with so much organic energy that the artist is doing that's very much in line with your vision, but completely not your vision and somehow better. And uh, and then there's times where, so it, it's wonderful all the time, but then there's times where there's this undercurrent and you look at the, you try to read this and you're just like, this is a mess. This is a bad mess, you know, and uh, and I need to clean up this mess. And so that's what I'm in the process of doing. I'm actually going to um, get it delivered a few days from when we record this. You know, we're recording this on a Wednesday. I'll have it done on a Friday and I'll send it back to the letterer. I know exactly what I want to do. It's just a matter of taking some time and hacking it out. So so that was my big first thing. You know, it was uh, it was getting some feedback. Uh, incorporating nice. that feedback, yeah, and then uh, and then doing some action that I'm I'm kind of halfway through. So yeah, man, int- uh, it's always interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a repeat offender. You did this, um, what, like three weeks ago or something like that. I think it was longer. It was it was on issue. I swear we just talked about this. Like it was issue three. It was issue three, oh, which okay. who knows how long ago that is. You're it could oh, okay, be anywhere okay. between three and nine weeks ago. I but to your point. I feel like we talked about it yesterday, you know, and and I did it again. So hopefully, <laughs> yeah. 
Hopefully for volume four, I won't do it anymore. Quarantine, uh, it messes with the time. You know what I mean? It's just like, wait, how long ago was that? You're like, no, that was three months ago. And it's just like, oh shit, that exactly. felt like a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, I remember exactly. you doing this. So uh, it's, you know, hey, you're catching it. So, um, and that's what the rereads are for. Like, you know, like we talked about last episode was, you know, you'll get art back, uh, you know, your dialogue, your vision of what's going on. They interpret it in their filter and they spit it back out to you. And then with that new filter on the script, does my dialogue match what's going on? Or does it give you an idea of like, hey, I can actually improve this. This actually gives me a complete, completely different idea. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and the problem with that is sometimes the vision is, for those of you that have seen um, the movie This is Spinal Tap, which hopefully is everybody, sometimes you have a vision for Stonehenge and you accidentally make it what is it, 12, 12 inches high instead of 12 feet high, <laughs> right, or whatever it is. Have you seen Spinal Tap or yeah. no? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it, it, it's they, they, get, they do a Stonehenge thing, they mock it up, and then whatever they do, they make it, you know, let's say 18 inches high or 12 inches high instead of the feet. And then it gets, it gets delivered exactly to your specifications, except your specifications were just a little fucked. So, uh, so yeah, sometimes, and, and now I get that chance to, uh, to fix it, you know, and, uh, Anyway, anyway. So how about you, man? What was your second thing? So my second thing was uh, getting back on track. So I found that my work schedule usually is going to be Monday through Friday. Um, I just have way too much going on over the weekend. Like the last month or two, it seems like something's always gone and I'm playing like catch up or recovery and it tends to affect my workflow. So, um, but this week I was able to get back on track. I'm back on track with my panel a day. I was going pretty hot and heavy for a while and doing the math, I do have enough, uh, time to do a panel a day until the end of the month to hit my goal. So my goal was to have this, uh, issue completely drawn by the end of the month. So if I keep on track, if I can bang out a panel tonight and a panel for the rest the remainder of the month, I'll be set. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the challenge. It's going to be tough. There's some complicated, like the panels that are left are the most difficult panels of the book. So this is going to be an interesting challenge to say the least. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that is, that, that's, you, yeah, the, the Slack method got you here. <laughs> you did what you wanted yeah, to yeah. do. And now here you are with the, with all of the hard pages left, right? Or all the hard panels right. left. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah it, it is what it is. You know, you deal with it. The, you take the good and the bad with the slack method. Yeah, yeah, man. I hear you. I hear you. So so for my second thing, I'm actually going to, I'm going to break. Uh, so I think people who listen are aware that when I talk about what I did last week, it's it's almost always, I mean, I mention the novel. But in general, what I try to do for this podcast is while I talk about plenty of things that kind of you know, cross the streams with novels. I generally don't talk about the work I did, but um, it, it's a good time for me to kind of like, you know, mention that I write for an hour every day in my novel or it, specifically I edit, right? You know, like we've talked about two pages a day versus a panel a day. Those are pretty good comparisons. I think an hour of editing is roughly along that same parallel in terms of the work that, that just to set aside and do. So in addition to all the comic stuff, I'm working on the novel all the, you know, every single day. That that's actually the thing that's non-negotiable. You know, if I have weeks where my comic load is light, it's because I just I didn't have that much time and the novel came first. But what I wanted to mention is that 
I'm in a really interesting spot in the novel right now, you know, because I'm I'm waiting for a person who is going to give me feedback again, a, a refresher. I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this is that I did get my my writer certificate from UCLA. One of the perks that comes with it is to get a hundred page read by an expert, um, a person who's like a published author who's part of the faculty at UCLA. So that was sent off um, about five weeks ago, and I'm expecting to hear back the feedback from about three three weeks to five weeks from now. So what that means, you know, for me, I've had this thing workshop for years by a lot of people who know what they're doing. I feel pretty confident about it, but I'm still, you know, I have this one final brick. And so what I'm hoping is the kind of feedback I get from, from this person is, over, you know, pretty positive with some things to work on. If it comes back and I get like shit's broken kind of feedback, then I'm going to have to rethink it. And I'm also probably going to have to rethink my timeline to completion for the end of the novel. But in the meantime, I'm kind of jumping ahead and doing something that I thought I was going to save to the end. But like, I feel like a lot of the plot mechanics are there. You know, we've talked about building the house. The foundation is built. The, the, the wood is up. The walls are up. The roof is up. You know, like we are, to me, I'm basically down to painting. And I'm taking a little bit of a gamble here that somebody doesn't come back and say your foundation's fucked. You know, so... In doing that, I am doing the kind of stuff that's basically kind of later passes of the novel, and I am just going old school writer, and I am bringing a big old thesaurus with me wherever I go, right? Uh, for for writers out there, by the way, I'm just going to mention that uh, that this book is fantastic. It's, it's, I guess, pricier as far as books go. It's the Oxford American Writer's Thesaurus. It is excellent. It is, it is a great way to spend some money for when you need good writer thesaurus type stuff. And that's all I'm doing. Specifically, I'm focusing on the types of verbs that you do a lot in a book, like walking, running, talking, writing, you know, like just just the stuff that people do every day because if you don't if you don't watch it, you're going to use the word walked 150 times, you know, depending on your novel. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just busting out the thesaurus. I'm trying to in, increase my vocabulary and then drop the right word into a sentence so that the sentence has a flow to it and sounds good, but but not so elaborate that it sounds highfalutin. You know what I mean? Like I want it to sound artful, but I don't want it to sound too fancy. So anyway, um, you know, I, I wanted to. Can you, can you yeah. hold up that? Uh, can you hold up that book? Let me let me take a look at that cover. You're trying to take a screenshot. Yeah, yeah. Get your face. Can back I put in it there. down now? Yeah, yeah, get your face back in there too, the way you had it initially. Sorry, sorry, our lag is fucking tremendous today. Like it's it's so yes, weird. it is. I'm just like, that I'm just like watching you, and it's kind of like, and then all of a sudden you're just like, yeah, you know what I mean, and I'm like, oh fuck, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's 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 definitely cool. It's always nice to see. A, Again, I don't I don't know if it's my Wi-Fi or yours. Probably mine. Mine shit. I need to get a new router. I need a. Um, I don't know if we mentioned this on the air, but Cox Cable, they offered for $5 more. Like, I think I'm at 125, whatever it is, the, the speed, it's a, at 125. And they said, oh, for five bucks more, you can get 500, but you got to buy a new router. Uh, financially, I was like, oh, I'm not okay. looking to buy a new router right now. But honestly, I think it'll be very beneficial. So I'm going to just pull the trigger yeah. and get that done. Sounds cool, man. So we'll see. Yeah. So So my next thing. Um, it's, it's like a couple of small things I have, like, uh, to kind of piggyback off yours a little bit as, as far as editing goes, 
I did a little bit of editing onto the letters page of Second Shift 10. I got some feedback via Kickstarter from one of my backers um, talking about the book, and, and so I'm going to put that into the next issue. So I started dabbling with the letters page. Um, I always do uh, you know, a little thing at the end of every one of my issues talking about uh, the process of the issue, you know, the journey going through there, the character, like how it was inspired or, or, or you know, whatnot. And so I started doing that. And uh, that's always fun because it feels like you're getting towards the end of the book. You're getting, you're seeing the finish line, you're doing all the minutia. And uh, so that's always interesting. And uh, another thing I did was a conference call. So I talked about this maybe a month ago at this point, since we're meeting uh, every month. Uh, my buddy Mike Mondragon, he's actually going, going to be doing the graphic design for the Second Shift hardcover. And so we had our second meeting, and I feel so much better about this meeting. Um, the first one kind of was like putting the skeleton up of the program that, he's, that he uses, Trello. And so he's showing me what the program can do. And, uh, you know, then it kind of became this check-in thing. It's just like, well, here, you know, okay, so, you know, next month, you know, during this month, I want to see you, uh, not see you, I want you to look up printers, but we're not at the printing process where that's not where we're at in the stages. So it's just like, okay, I think we need to have a conversation about that and kind of like what, what the expectations are. And so I laid it out much better this time around. I, I don't think I really talked, talked to him fully about what I was interested in him specifically for. And, um, it's his artistic vision. It's just like, dude, you've got legitimately 30 years of graphic designer experience. And like, I'm in my infancy with graphic design. Like I dabble with it. I know visually what looks good to me. And then so I try to translate that into, into my designs. And um, so this time around, I was showing him like, I was like, hey, go into the issues. I sent you the link to the PDFs. And so we're looking at them together. I was like, okay, look at the credits page for these last four books. I did the graphic design on them and uh, this is kind of the vibe I'm going for. So with your 30 years of experience, I want you to look at it and like, not not to, to sound too hippy dippy, it's just like, I want you, I wanna see if you can understand my artistic vision. Like by looking at these pieces, this graphic design, you see what I'm going for, you see like what's working and what's not working and then put it through your 30 year lens and make it better, make it that much better and then put your spin on top of it. Things that I might not know about, you go, you know what? I see what you're going for. Here's these other tricks that I learned that I can do on top of it. He, he got it. He was just like, okay, okay, I get it now. It's just like, yeah, you know, um, and, and it felt like the first meeting felt like he was kind of being a task manager, mm -hmm. uh, which is nice. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what I hired him for. You know, so um, I think we're, we're on task. And, uh, you know, I was just like, hey, you know, if you could also, I'm like, I know it's a chore, but if you could potentially read issues like seven through 11, if you can read those, you don't necessarily need to read the first five issues. That's one story arc. But these other ones, they're all like, you know, one and dones. They're one shots. Like seven specifically, if you've never read my book, that's a perfect book to pick up and figure out what the book's about, what the characters are about. And it wraps up in one issue. It's just a nice fun time and then it's done. So it's just like, check these things out 
And then you can get a vibe of the book itself, and then you can put that essence into the graphic design as well. Word up, man! That sounds really good. That sounds really good. I mean, that's that's why you're you know you're you're working with him because of his artistic instinct, you know. So that'll be fun, man. I'm I, I'm excited for that to continue to develop, you know. So that's that's good stuff. I have one more thing. It it's also on the on the concept of like, so now we're getting into big thinking stuff. When I think about Kadoja, you know, I, for some reason, getting these notes back, I think when I got the lettering back the other day, it's very easy to see how close we are to the end of, of this arc, which makes me very excited. It also makes me realize that I have not written shit for the next volume. And I need to get on that because I'm assuming that I'm going to want to get firing with that with Will to uh, to kick off volume four, right? Um, who's Who knows when that's going to come out, but in terms of getting it started from the creative process, I want to get it started. So again, I, I think I had teased this a little bit before, but uh, it's time to really sit down and start doing the big picture work for Kadoja volume four. And without revealing anything, a major plot point involving Kadoja itself that I believed was going to go a certain way. When I thought about it more, what I realized is that thing makes for very cool action pieces, but it goes against one of my big themes of the book. And I I can't really talk much about it there, but I I think everybody gets the gist. It, It kind of betrays one of the core things that I want people to think about in their spare time, maybe if they think about things like Kadoja in their spare time. So I'm happy to say that I I morphed it a little bit in my head to something that's a bit more fitting in terms of the theme of the book. And, uh, and so now I understand what the action pieces in volume four are going to be. I understand what the basic character pieces are going to be. I bounced them off a person or two. And, uh, and now it's just a matter of sitting down and understanding what that means from an issue standpoint. So, you know, for, for me, it's very top down, right? You start big, this is the stuff I want to have happen. And then it becomes, okay, in each of these issues, here's what I want to have happen, which is then going to turn into here's all the scenes in this issue. And here's what I want to have happen. So it's starting. I'm excited for it. Um, and, and we'll see where it goes. You know, I, I plan on, I haven't decided on what I'm going to do in terms of the actual script. My general thing has always been start real big and then get a loose issue outline with a skeleton of all the scenes I want to have happen. So if you're using volume two as an example, it's like scene, you know, Kadoja appears in Russia to everyone's surprise and special weapons establishes contact with Russia and Russian military begins to go at Kadoja. That, that would be the skeleton description of the scene, right? And, and so on for all of the scenes that actually happen in the book. And then what I also do is I assign my estimated number of pages that I want to tell that scene. After that, what I generally do is on an issue-by-issue basis, I will write that scene. I already know what's going to happen. I have a really good vibe on it. And I, I feel like I'll write issue one get rolling on issue one, get the art coming back on issue one, maybe even fine tune issue one, and then go ahead and write issue two, as opposed to doing an entire script for the four issues well in advance. So 
We'll see. I mean, a lot of those things can change, but I'm happy that the big picture thinking is starting to happen. And, and like I've mentioned before, it's a very nebulous thing. You know, I can do big picture thinking when I drive to and from work. I could walk around and do big picture thinking. At some point, the work's going to follow. But if I did the work right now, it, it would be complete garbage. So, um, so yeah, man, that was, that was basically the summation of my week, you know, a little bit, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but a whole lot of just almost sitting back and thinking and throwing on a record or two and uh, letting my mind kind of clear out and then having some, some of the bigger ideas come to me. It sounds like we both had pretty productive weeks. Um, it's kind of nice to be honest with you. Like, I think this is maybe, I wouldn't say, or I don't know if it's busiest, but it, it feels like a nice very fruitful week for both of us. So yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So a subject matter that I had talked to you about briefly was something in a conversation that Tristan Whitehouse and I had just hanging out at my place, drinking some beers, watching some invincible. And it was, uh, rules, rules of art, you know, whether that be writing or drawing comics, uh, storytelling, all of that stuff. So there's particular, uh, rules, rules to these things. And uh, they always talk about learning the rules before you can break them. Now, you had mentioned something uh, in passing about a comic that we both love, uh, Ultra Mega. You, yes. uh, the review you gave me initially was, uh, the book's awesome, the writing's all over the place, but I still love it. So my question to you is, what the ter- so when you said... The writing is all over the place. So what does that mean specifically as as someone that is not a trained writer that hasn't taken any classes? Like, what does that mean? What are the rules specifically or, or how is it all over the place? Sure, sure. So I'm going to give two caveats here. One, all over the place is my term. Um, and who knows how accurate it is, but I think I think people will get the gist of why at least I said what I said. It's not an official term. It's just a vibe I got. And the second thing that you are you are just being far too kind. So we're go we're going inside baseball on this, Scott. We had this conversation already. We had it, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna put this part. We're we're not gonna put this part of the conversation, but we're gonna put another part of the conversation because we hung out this past weekend. We had some beers and we got some comics, as we tend to do at SoCal Comics and at Society. We then got a growler of the Madam and brought that bad boy home. And then we drank and then we drank more of it. And then we recorded uh, the stuff that we ended up talking about. And we had a part two. And that part two, after I listened back, was such a mess that uh, I sent you some texts and said, I think, number one, it's a mess. And number two, I think this is one of those cases, you know, I know I know something you constantly I think deal with in your own head when you think of topics for the podcast is, is it better to give Keith a heads up or is it better to get the unfiltered, just quick hit version? And I think this is one of those cases where a little bit more of a deeper dive um, and a little bit more of an educated answer on my part will help everyone more. And less, and less alcohol. Less alcohol, as in 100% less. Um, fun fun fact, both Scott and I are detoxing yeah. for this episode. We're just giving our bodies a break. I was going to say, after you and I hung out, I went to a beer tasting not too long after. It was like literally yeah. 30 to 40 minutes after you and I hung out, I went to a beer tasting with friends and we drank until 3 a.m. So um, it, was, <laughs> it was such a booze bag filled weekend that I was like, I think this is going to be the first week on the podcast where I'm not going to have a beer or a seltzer. Yep. 
Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's but but if you're drinking out there, I know I know there's a couple people that that like to crack open a beer and drink along. I hope you're enjoying it. We will be joining you next week, most most likely with uh, with our own beers again. Yeah. This week, I have uh, the Kirkland Signature Sparkling uh, Zero Calorie um, Orange Mango Flavor. Ooh. So I'm 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 staying on brand. You I'm are. still staying Kirkland, but it's just a sparkling seltzer or just like a seltzer water. Yeah, I'm not staying on brand at all. I have a bottle of Perrier here, and I have a st- a glass of Still. So if you if you're answering the uh, the British question, sparkling or still, the answer is both. I'm drinking both right now. That's how I'm getting my <laughs> my variety. But what I did was over the last couple of days, I really thought about it, and I I read through my copy of Ultra Mega, and I made a whole lot of post its. So um so I'm we're gonna we're gonna mention something here. Big old spoilers. This is you know we've we've hinted at spoiler warnings before, and then we've never really delivered on it. So this one we are going to spoil Ultra Mega for you. If you've read it, please listen along. If you don't care, please listen along. But if number you care, one. number one yeah. specifically, Ultra Mega number one. That's correct. Sorry, that's a good point. So here's what I'm going to do, Scott. I just went through to answer the question of all over the place. I wanted to unpack my own opinions that I had formed, my undocumented opinions, by going through it. So what I did was I just took some notes on stuff that happens and my best guess at what a page is, okay? So I'm just going to read all these, and then we can talk a little bit about them, okay? And and again, this is just a page-by-page note of the kind of stuff that's happening in Ultra Mega number one. Page one, virus is taking over the world. Page two, alien entity bestows mega powers to fight the plague. Um, the, the protagonist, quote, will sense it. Page four, dropped-in backstory on other ultras because there are two more. So I just want to pause here for a second. We're four pages in. That is a whole lot of shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, it's stuff like that that informs the all over the place concept in my own head. In fact, um, when we hung out on over the weekend, I sensed a parallel to the movie that um, that I had seen, but that I finally hit you to, which is Super Inframan. And that is another movie that drops a lot on you very quickly. You know what I mean? Like some bad shit quickly happens. And then it's like, gentlemen, the world is plagued and millions are dead. And the world is about to be taking over. We are a minute and a half in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So so that's that's the kind of stuff that informs what kind of ride you're going to be in for and what informs a little, little bit of my thought, right? Um, continuing. Page 14. There is a mother feeding her kaiju entity things. Um, page 17. The lead, the protagonist, has a large head with no explanation that I could figure out. Uh, Page 18, a cryptic warning of the end by a grotesque corpse. Page 21 to 22, the mother from a few pages ago is tending to the son that we were warned of um, back then. Yeah, go ahead. I think he had a giant head because he grows large when he fights and then he shrinks back down to normal size. So his body had finished shrinking down, but his head hadn't that's what my takeaway was was that explained though what was was the reason that his head didn't shrink any further explained it wasn't explained but i understood so like there's stuff that you just pick up on so so it didn't need to be written down for me but i actually i think he might have mentioned it briefly when he was on the telephone call he might have mentioned that there if he didn't, been. it was just something I picked up. Yeah. And, and well, and again, this so this this is where it's going to get into like if you talk about rules and keep in mind, I've got like 
some some fancy schmancy like literary novel crap in my head too. Why is a question that that you're going to ask sometimes, right? Asking why in the right spots is a great thing. Asking a why that's intended by the author is a right thing, is a great thing. Asking a why that's unintended by the author can get a little bit dicey. So this is one of those cases where I think he did give a passing thing, but I, I just didn't quite get it because we go, we keep that big head for a little while. I think we might even waver back and forth between the big head and the normal head. So that was just, again, it, it's it's more to summarize the kind of stuff you're in for. But by the time you got four pages in, you know that you're in for a wild ride and explanation probably is not why we're all here. Page 24 through 26, what appears to be a textless flashback with big and small head protagonist, unless it's not. Um, page 28, reunion of the Megas, uh, warning of the sun, which happens to be the protagonist's son, uh, returning. Um, later, again, I didn't have the, then, then about the next, you know, 15 pages or so are crazy action, um, a death of uh what is that the the death of yeah the death of the main character um that induces a citywide flood of blood and then uh at the end of the issue over the last few pages you have a years later rebuild that occurs in the city after the protagonist and the other two main ultras have died at the hands of the sun so to me that is writing that is all over the place right it 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 breaks a lot of rules. It does a lot of shit that isn't explained. And in general, you're... yeah. And so this is the thing, too. This, this is where it's great to mention. I love this book. I loved it. In fact, I was talking to a friend a couple days ago, and I had marked this up, and, and they knew nothing about Ultra Mega. So what I did was I read all these things. I said, I'm going to read the plot of a comic to you. I, wanted, I want you to tell me what you think. And do you agree that the writing is all over the place? So I read through all these things and the person then says, I agree, I want this comic, <laughs> right? So, you know, like that gives you an idea <laughs> of, of, how, of how this kind of stuff works. But if we're breaking that down even more into things that might be specific rules that we would talk about, I think a mild rule that, that came up to me in, in the course of here would be, um, you know, dropping your character in a story with minimal explanation happens all the time. There's a name for it. It's in Medeus Res, right? But I think that that this definitely goes okay. goes above and beyond the amount of drop in that you have when two pages in we've had a kaiju plague that's taken over the world and and uh, and and this person who's been bestowed powers, you know, is the protagonist. In fact, the friend mentioned um, why him. There isn't a reason. Right. So it's it's that kind of stuff that no. when you start to get yeah. into into rules, it, you know, it would kind of be like, well, why this person? Um, this book doesn't care. And that's OK. Right. So, again, that's a rule or you could argue it's a it's a half rule, but it, it's one that this book breaks and is very successful at it um, at. And then the, the other couple things that I can think of in terms of rules are do not kill your protagonist protagonist is fucking dead by the end of this issue man you know and then um you could make another a, a, a final argument on quote-unquote rules in that stories should have a beginning middle and end or a three-act structure well guess what has a three-act structure the first issue <laughs> you know so uh what what yeah. the hell does that mean for the fact that there are three more to go a couple of those are the type of quote-unquote rules that you might say 
can be broken or a little lower on the don't break spectrum than perhaps the death of a protagonist or adhering to what most people might understand as a three-act structure. I have no doubt that by the time we get to the end of this series, this is actually going to be some kind of act one in part of an even larger three-act structure, right? Or it won't. Who knows, mm-hmm. right? But um, but anyway, so uh, that's that's kind of like the end of my point, um, except that, that by summing all this up, and the one point we did make uh, a couple days ago is the rules are there are no rules. You know, you can you can break any rule you want as long as you can pull it off. And that's the key. You right. know, I, I think one of the things that really goes well for Ultra Mega here is that it, it, it sets up some rules of its own, you know, and, and an important yeah. rule. One one important rule that I think needs to apply to any story, no matter what is, you need to be consistent with your own rules. Right. And, and it's also, they're telling, they're telling a different story than like the book's not over. Right. So like the first issue, it, like you said, it has a, a three act structure, but so does like game of Thrones episode one, they kill Ned Stark like right away. And you're like, what the fuck? Like we thought that was the main guy. Yeah. So maybe that's what this is. Maybe this yep. is just uh, the prologue. You know, it's just yep. like, oh, hey, this totally. is this is the kind of setup to what we're dealing with now. This is why the world that we're the story is actually about. This is why it is the way it is. So totally. you know, and it, it, have you read issue two? No, no, it's it's uh, I've I've been plowing through so many of our our discounted comics. Oh, okay, yeah. So I mean, we didn't talk that we're going to spoil that, so I won't spoil it. But um, you know it the world is affected by what happens in issue one. So to me, it all makes sense. And like, like you said, uh, at the end of the day, at the end of that conversation we had, the answer was there are no rules because what are rules? What are these rules? What are comic rules? What are writing rules? Who wrote these rules? Where do these rules come from? They come from creators that had done it enough that they said, Hey, this, when I do this, I find this works the best. And you get other creators go, hey, yeah, I did that too. And I also find that that works the best. So that became the quote unquote rule. So they're just dudes. They're just yes. dudes that came before us and found the easiest way to make things work. And so that's, so that's where these rules come from. It's the same thing with art. There were so many comic book creators and artists before us that there's these rules oh, the comic book reads better when you do this. You shouldn't, if you have on the top half, bottom half of your page, you shouldn't do left-handed panel stacking. That's something I hear a lot. And like, if you left-hand panel stack, so you have, let's say you have uh, panel one, top left, panel two, under that one, panel three to the right of that, right? They say, don't do that, it doesn't read. When I was a child, there was left-handed panel stacking, and I was smart enough to understand how to read it. Like, sometimes you go over, you or you look, you pause, because it, it's not the norm, right? That's not the norm. So you go, wait, how do I read this? And then you just look at it briefly, and you go, oh, okay, you, you do this. You read here, and then you go down, and then you go over. And then so ever since I figured the rule out, then I knew how to read every single time. So every time I saw left-handed panel stacking, I knew to read top, then right under, and then to the right. And and mm-hmm. you learn, you learn new rules. You know, you once you figure out, you've figured it out. And honestly, if you keep forgetting that, I think that's a bit on you, isn't it? Because you've run into this problem before, but you forgot the results of your of your findings. 
So keep fucking mm-hmm. figuring it out, genius. So so anyway, um, it's a it's a thing where yes, it is good to learn the quote unquote rules so you could then break them. But what prompted this um, was me relettering issue one and seeing all the chances that I took before I knew the rules. As I've drawn more and more comics, I've learned more and more quote unquote rules for drawing comics, but the the risks I was taking without knowing I was taking risks, um, I just thought, hey, wouldn't this be cool? It's something artists end up striding towards, uh, you know, as time goes on. It's just like, man, I want to get real creative with this. How can I make this better? I was doing that from the start, and now I'm craving for those those time frames where I'm like, oh man, I was just doing crazy shit. Like it didn't even matter, and that's that becomes the most fun things to read. Yes. Yeah, and 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 you know, to for me to wrap up the thing on Ultra Mega, I think the the thing for me is that it works for very specific reasons. I think you know, it it works for this genre, um, it works for kaiju genre because we're all here for the fights. You know, it it also works in a way. Everybody on the Ultra Mega team did here is they created their own new little bit of rules in the first couple pages, and then they decided to stick to them. And and to your point, Game of Thrones made it clear from day one. I I don't care who you think is surviving here. Whatever happens, mm-hmm. happens. You know, and and those are the rules of Game of Thrones. And so much of I think why people responded to that series was because it it kind of created its own set of rules that were in a subversion of a lot of other rules. But I mean, I, again, the, the cautious thing there is you got to make sure you can execute right. it. And I'm sure we could do another thing on like why, why ultra mega is so successful, at least in issue one at executing it. You know, one of the reasons is, is the art, you know, and, uh, but there are some other reasons out there too. Yeah. Another rule that I have issues with is, um, show don't tell. It's not always show don't tell. Like the perfect example of, of something that throws you right into the action, but they tell you before they start showing you, is, here it goes, people, Star Wars. Star Wars starts you off with the crawl. You, you're you basically reading what's going on. They're telling you what is going on in this world, and then they throw you into it. So it, it's just like, it can be both things. Comic books isn't just one thing. It's not... Well, show us this is happening. Don't just tell us. Well, the last time I checked, there's more than just pictures on the page. There's actually words too. You know, like um, for instance, we don't know we don't know what's going on with each other at all times. So if I saw you, or if let's say I'm over at your house, hey, where's Ava? You would say, oh, Ava's uh, you know doing some fencing. She's over here and blah blah blah. That's you telling me what's going on, as opposed to. Uh, the scene cuts away to Ava fencing. It's like, no, like we're in this, we're in this space. We're in our reality. Our reality is I'm going to ask you a question and you're going to give me the answer. We're not going to witness her doing what she's doing. You know? Yes. I totally get what you mean with star Wars. I mean, it, it, I mean, that's also a thing that really kind of created new rules for people. I mean, it, it created rules in all kinds of ways. So, I mean, rules are made to be broken, especially when it comes to creative stuff. Again, it's just a matter of understanding what works and what doesn't. And the only way you're really going to get that is feedback. You know, like you're you're either if you find out that your clever inversion of rules is something everybody hates, 
um, then you might want to reconsider it, you know, or at least you want to, <laughs> yeah. you, you might, you might want to take the note and figure it out. Cause you know, reconsidering, yeah, maybe you can change it. Maybe you can do something. Maybe you can't, but again, it, it, it this is a, you know, in a way, this is a really good example of how rule breaking works. I think there are other examples uh, that I could give of how rule breaking does not work, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but this right. specific thing was the one we talked about and, and I think it matters. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, art is, at the end of the day, art is art, and art is subjective. Um, for someone to say, you're doing art wrong. No, no, you're wrong. You're already wrong in your statement, because art is subjective, and, and art is what it is to you, not to everyone else. Everyone's different. Like, we don't yeah. all have to follow the same rules. I mean, I mean, of course, you're going to have to write English, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're writing American comics, that's probably a rule you're going to want to keep, right? But... Um, if the art visuals is good enough, you might get away with having a comic in a completely alien language that you made up as long as the visuals is good enough. So, but yeah, you know, it, it, it's art is art. So that's what it boils down to. Art is art. There are no rules. Uh, the emperor has no clothes. Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I hope we answered that question. It feels like we did. I think so. I think we nailed it. All right. See, see what happens when we're sober. Wow, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, the, the podcast the podcast goes so much quicker. Our uh, <laughs> points are more precise, hence the quickness. Exactly. And uh, we wrap up an episode at like forty eight uh, minutes as opposed to one twenty. People listening right now are probably going to be like, "I fucking hate it. <laughs> this is shit." <laughs> <laughs> Worst episode yet. <laughs> exactly. Worst episode. You guys need ever. to be drunk. Exactly, exactly. So um, you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore decibel. That is me doing things in the world and at Kadoja Kaiju. That's all one word. And that is devoted to all things Kadoja. Speaking of Kadoja, um, I'll mention it here. By the time you're listening to this, if you either missed out on the Kickstarter for volume three or you would like a companion, you would like a second trade paperback, then head to your local comic shop or online retailer and order Kadoja Volume 3. It is out right now in previews, and you can find it, same book, different way of getting it, and uh, and again, it, or if you missed out on it with the Kickstarter, well, you can still grab it through a comic shop somewhere. Yeah, if you just like to double dip too, if you want both covers because you're just that completionist, then I suggest getting both covers. You know, hopefully you back the Kickstarter, now you can get that one from the shop. And then you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward Scott Lost. All right. In terms of websites, KeithRFoster.com is all you need to know. I did take some time and updated the um, Kadoja subpage there. So check that out when you can. I'm also going to plan to get up some samples of the art pages there in case you are still on the fence about Kadoja and would like to try before you buy, at least in an online format. And you can find my books at AccidentalAliens.com, Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanderers of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, AccidentalAliens.com. So, uh, again, we do not have a Patreon for this. We do this because we love talking about making comics. We love making comics. So uh, support us by picking up some books, and uh, we'll keep putting this great content out for you, sober or not sober. If you have some questions, comments, concerns, if you want to tell us you're trash without drinking, uh, go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com and uh, let us know. And we'll gladly say uh, you're right. You're completely right, and we'll, it won't happen again. 
we will make up for it next week. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, all right, man, you know the deal. I've definitely, I've definitely queued up the music, and we could, we could keep rolling for a little bit, but we already have the conversation from hanging out last weekend, so we're just going to roll on into that. I'll catch you next week, brother. Yeah, yeah. We are at the Abode de Scott because we can control the climate. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, there was a lot of people at society and there was a lot of wind at society. And we were in the mood to just get on out of there after the first beer, right? Get some burritos, come back here. And uh, now you've had some burrito. I'm continuing my, my drink as we go here. And, uh, and we're going to talk about the books we got at SoCal Comics because we did yet another glorious SoCal Comics society run. And now we're here. I'm pre-burrito. We're going to knock back a little bit of beer here and talk about the books we got. So welcome to start? making comics. Yeah. Oh, should we do that? <laughs> no, 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 like, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to let him keep going. Well, we're not introing making no. comics. Are, are we, we not? Do? Is no. it going to be tacked on at the end? Yeah, or? we'll just tack this Oh, okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was going to be its own thing or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. So we did uh, our, our monthly SoCal run together, which, which seems to be... Uh, about right i would say about once a month you're down here mm -hmm. uh picking up or dropping off your daughter and then we do our our hang yep and uh picking up a stack of books so um i was shocked because i picked up 36 books i had every intention of picking up maybe 12 um and grabbing anything that i hadn't grabbed on my weekly pool and so i had grabbed a second copy of we only find them when they're dead it was a second cover socal has a one per wednesday rule now and so i got one cover on wednesday and then i grabbed the other cover and then after that i tackled the dollar bins and man did i get sucked into a whole bunch of stuff and that's the reason for the 36 it's actually technically i think 37 comics because you bought one full price yes right yes. and then you got 36 from the dollar bins because socal comics has a 12 comics for ten dollars thing so in the dollar bins it's obviously a dollar each but for every 10 you get, you get two free. And that's why you get these multiples of 12. So, uh, dude, that's a cool looking cover on top of that. Yeah, Isola. So Isola, I grabbed a couple issues of that. It's a nice series that I collect. Um, they only had a couple left. And honestly, I don't think I needed either. But I needed I needed to, to fill those extra issues out. And so to have extra copies of Isola is, is always good. The art is fantastic. So uh, Carl Kerschel is amazing, so I grabbed those. Looks cool. Actually, the title of the book makes it look like it's 15914 as opposed to Isla. I'm going to bust this open. Yeah, man. Just yeah, take yeah, a look yeah. at it. Do your thing. Go ahead, man. Go. You, you keep going. You keep going. Uh, okay, and so let me go through the ones that I was hunting for specifically before I get into the ones that I found. Um, randomly found... No, you know what? Okay, let's go with Extremity. So I got Extremity number three. That was on my list. And uh, Gideon Falls, I got number 25. That was also on the list. And I got, and thanks to you for bringing up Murder Falcon. So Extremity and Murder Falcon are related because mm -hmm. of Daniel Warren Johnson. Daniel Warren Johnson, yeah. So uh, Daniel Warren Johnson co uh, collection right there and both 
uh, I believe, yep, both are Skybound. Yeah. So, and that's what we talked about on the last episode. Yeah. And so, um, grabbed a bunch of copies of those. Thank you for remembering yeah. those. And, and Murder Falcon is what we think is it's one of these rock band kind of stories where apparently the lead singer looks like or lead instrumental person is some kind of Falcon human hybrid. Well, the, okay. So have you never read any no, of it? No, no. I just oh, okay. So away. I, re I read the first issue. So, uh, there's a blonde haired character and he was in this band with some friends. I don't know what happened with him exactly, but he kind of got down the dumps and got out of the band. And they, they didn't understand why. And randomly, he ends up picking up a guitar. And this guitar is infused with magic of some sort. Oh, and yeah. when he plays it, the Murder Falcon comes out. Oh, fuck and yeah. so the Murder Falcon is kind of like their Captain Planet, but just like fucking metal and yeah. he, he fights so he's kind of awesome okay wait a minute but a, a quick cool thing about murder falcon uh for for the metal heads out there because i wanted to bring this up so the uh the covers uh of murder falcon in some cases i don't know if these are alternate covers or if these are the the base covers but these are uh many of them like issue three the cover is not a tribute to anything right it's okay. just a cover of a comic oh this okay. however is a tribute this is this is a tribute to Ingve Malmsteen's first record, um, and I can't remember what it's called, but it's a it's it's a play. I think it's the first record. It's it's um the one where Ingve is like shooting a dragon with the laser from his guitar. Pretty sure that that's it. If not, it's from the third. It might be from trilogy actually. Okay. Ingve Malmsteen's third record. Okay. Um, number six is absolutely a tribute to Megadeth's Rust in Peace, and that is the Megadeth logo right there. And it's a it's a tribute to that issue number eight. That is a a uh, a tribute, whatever you want to say, to Motley Crue's "Shout at the Devil." And you can oh. see that they put the umlauts over them. Yeah. Falcon. So anyway, so yeah, over here too. Yeah. Just okay. So that answers a question because I do have the first issue, and so the cover to number three is the standard cover, mm -hmm. and that is their logo. Yeah. So when you were pulling these other ones out and handing to me, I'm like, wait, is this the same title? I'm like, wait, yeah. there can't be another Murder Falcon yeah. because the logos were, were all different. Yep. So yep. That metal, metal tributes, man, super cool. Right and there's on. one out there that's a tribute to Judas Priest's Painkiller as well. And, uh, okay, so, I, you know, these are so unorganized, I'm just going to go uh, hit them as they go. Okay, so I found... Uh, Copies of Prophet 38, 39, and 42. Mm. These are Brandon Graham, Simon Roy, and Giannis Milagianis. Milano Giannis. Uh, I really enjoyed this. It's it's kind of bizarre. So this is Rob Liefeld's Prophet, yeah. but in the eyes of Brandon Graham. Okay. And so in the 2000s, Liefeld uh, commissioned a couple of like indie creators or – yeah, indie creators. Mm -hmm. So Brandon Graham was heavily into indie at that time. And uh, Glory was the other title, and I loved Glory. And I checked out a little bit of Profit, but I, I really dug uh, Glory so much that I was like, hey, these I got a couple issues in here. I'll grab those. And then previously mentioned on the pod, you talked about Hillbilly, which was uh, Simone DeMaio's early work. And so you actually found two sets uh, in, in, in the piles there in the dollar mm -hmm. bins. And so you got a set for you and a set for me. So I appreciate that. Yeah. One. And that is, that is the hillbilly, I guess it's a limited series, a four issue limited series called red eyed witchery from beyond. And again, that's an Eric Powell property. Um, I'll go ahead and jump the gun because I got a set for myself and, uh, I couldn't, so, you know, 
this is the disadvantage of like not being able to go to SoCal Comics a lot. But this is also why I've mentioned I want to just go to SoCal Comics first for any of this stuff. Because I ended up, because I was so impatient, I bought it directly through um, Eric Powell's company, Albatross Funny Books. Okay. And so the nice thing is I got the issues I was missing and they were all signed by Eric Powell. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. And you're supporting that creator directly. So exactly. there's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. Uh, but hey, I'll gladly take them for a dollar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, Protector, one, three, four, and five. So the cover of this, I randomly found it. I don't even know how. I was in the P's for whatever reason. And the cover art looks like the same artist from uh, Orphan and the Five Beasts. Yeah. And we looked it up, and James Stokoe, in fact, did the cover work for number one. Yeah. And so just based on that alone, when we opened to see that it was him, the art inside looked good as well. Yeah. So I grabbed those issues. Very happy about that. Yes, sir. And um, looking, looking for another series, uh, I was in the D's and I came across Death or Glory. And this is by Rick Remender, who's one of my favorite writers, mm -hmm. and Bengal. And so this was a limited series. I got the first issue. Um, it didn't capture me like his stuff normally does. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't end up picking up the rest of the series, but I ended up getting four, five, and six. So now I have to just track down issues two and three, and then I'll own that limited series. So that'll be pretty cool. And I'll just read it all in one sitting to see if uh, it, it reads better as as one piece. And and sometimes that happens with modern comics. So, comics. Some writers write for the trade. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that, I wouldn't say that Remender does that because I enjoy every issue that he puts out. Out, but um you know uh, maybe it works better for this particular property i write for the trade oh okay yeah every, everything but i mean do i write for the trade or do i write in specific story arcs that are meant to be collected in trades you know right like chicken or the egg you know to me i write for whatever the story arc is and then you know yes we want to do comics along the way and go from there right um and staying on the remender bend i got uh, some missing issues of black science so i was pretty psyched about that because i already went through socal's uh, dollar bins before and picked up the issues that i thought i needed from there and man i got four eight so i got eight different uh black science issues that i needed so i'm almost closing out that series so i'm, I'm pretty happy about that mm -hmm. and i got a couple of uh uh there was like alternate covers to a couple of issues so there are a couple of doubles there yeah just alternate covers which you know i'll, I'll pay a dollar for an alternate cover no big deal yeah yeah and uh speaking of covers i picked up three issues of black cat a series i could give two shits about but they have j scott campbell covers mm -hmm. and i do love j scott campbell so um i'll take some j scott campbell copies for uh comics for a dollar so i got three issues of that two for the immortal robocop line you will buy that for a dollar. <laughs> I'll buy that for a dollar. And uh, just to fill it out, I needed some issues to get to the 36. So I got GoBots by Tom Scioli, number one. Tom Scioli is a, a very Kirby-influenced artist, and I've discovered his work more so lately through Cartoonist Kayfabe, actually. So, uh, and I remember when this came out, my buddy um, sent me it, like kind of as a, a goof, because he loves Transformers. And he goes, man, they're really trying anything. So uh, yeah, so I got GoBots, number one for a dollar. Okay. And uh, a couple of old school books to round it all out. I got John Carter, Warlord of Mars, number three. I actually have number one, I believe. So uh, why not? For a buck, I got number three. And then Captain Victory, which is a Jack Kirby creator-owned property. And this is, uh, I think, is that Pacific Comics? What is this? 
Yeah, Pacific Comics. Mm. Um, this is number number five. So, um, yeah, I just needed one more book, you know, and it's free. So I'll take a free Jack Kirby comic for a buck. Okay, so Jack Kirby makes me think of a random question that we have never touched on, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, quick, hey, let's do a basketball aside. Who's the greatest of all time? Who's the GOAT? Jordan. Yeah, I think so too. Right. Who's the comics GOAT? Uh, it has to be Kirby. That's what I think. Yeah, it yeah. has to be. He created a lot of the visual elements that we still use to this day and, yeah. and a lot of the characters that we still are uh, crazy about yeah. are, are the main selling points of, of Marvel. Yeah, I mean, you can, you know, Stan, the, the thing about it is that like the, the late, great Stan Lee would be the other person in the conversation. But it just right. feels like because Lee wrote and Kirby drew and had a period where he wrote and created the new gods, basically, yes. which have gone on to become such a part of, like, DC canon, especially for those that watched, uh, you know, those movie people that watched uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Right. Right, where, where all of a sudden the dark side influence showed up a hell of a lot more. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like Kirby breaks the tie there, you mm -hmm. know, but... Anyway. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely Kirby, and then Stanley is a, a strong second. Yeah, and exactly. if you had it the other My, way... Yeah. If you had it the other way around, I wouldn't even care. No, you exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. All right, man, so let's, uh, let's get to mine, right? So let's... So I have a ridiculous stack. Now... I had, I had committed to, I had sold my turntable a while ago. Um, I do have a couple turntables. So I sold one that um, has some value and that I was tired of um, to talk to music nerds out there. It was like an audiophile turntable, but it was also light. And I don't know, turntables are supposed to have a heavy bass, man. That's just oh, okay. like, a, they, they, they can't move. They need to give you a hernia when you lift them. That's that's what a good turntable is to me mm -hmm. from my DJ um, years, right? But uh, anyway, so I sold that off and I kept this money aside specifically for a SoCal Comics. Room. Oh, right on. And uh, and I ended up spending, you know, I ended up having a few dollars left over. And so what I bought was sixty dollar books, which is fifty bucks. And then um, I had had a couple current comics, but then at the end I put them back because um, we'll get to this in a little bit, but. Like an idiot, I've decided, you know, I, hey, who got rid of all their Stray Bullets comics? Well, me. Well, me. Um, I probably only collected about the first 15 or 16, so I'm not going to feel like a complete knucklehead. But um, I did get rid of some, like I seem to have gotten rid of everything. I'm going to do a quick aside, though, which is I was just going through my collection this morning, and I realized that there's a comic that I was actually not an idiot about. Because it feels like the last five episodes, I've talked about how, like, yeah, that's valuable. I got rid of that. Yeah, that's valuable. I got rid of that. Yeah. Guess what's valuable that I did not get rid of? The Thor number one with Jane Foster. Oh, shit. So random. Random. Because because there was that Thor Gore the God Butcher arc, which yeah. lasted, what was it, either 18 or 24 issues. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Somebody recommended that to me, and I was just like, Jesus Christ, this is one of the greatest runs I've ever read. The I think Jason Aaron did that, yep. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, then Jason, Jason Aaron kept on and, going with Thor. Mah and so Mahmoud Azrar was yeah. the artist. Oh, okay. So I, I stuck with Thor, and uh, yeah, that's in my collection. So it turns out I'm not a complete idiot. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's Maybe awesome. We can talk offline. No, I, yeah, man. That's I, a I great... Hate, I hate I, I was looking shit. for it after the fact. Like, yeah. And uh, I was just like, ah, oh, fuck, I really should have grabbed that, and I just didn't, you know what I mean? But you know what I did pick up randomly? What if Jane Foster was Thor? 
Yeah. Yeah, I own Oh, that. yeah, man. Yeah, I ended up picking that up. That's what prompted my search this morning, because I was on Instagram just doing some shit, and I was like, oh, look, somebody, it wasn't you, yeah. had said, like, oh, here's my copy of What If Jane Foster Was Thor, and I was like, no fucking way. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, does that, wait, a, oh, shit, there's a movie coming out soon with Jane right. Foster as Thor. My comic's probably worth something, and goddamn it, it was. Yeah. So, you know, hey... Props to me for not being an idiot and selling that for once in my life. But anyway, so I, I um, the only uh, premium books I bought were Stray Bullets numbers one, two, two and three. They are, and and I'm I'm I was a huge fan of Stray Bullets. Why I got rid of stuff, who knows? But you know, I was in a purge mood back in 2008. Yeah, so yeah. You when do? you're doing a shitload of moving, you when know you're doing, I mean? and I moved a ton, an absolute ton. You know. So um, anyway, so. It looks like my comics got a little out of order, so I'm going to start to go through my my little pack here. But I did um, – I've talked about how much I like Redneck. And I had Redneck 1 through 12, so I was able to pick up in the dollar bin. They had 13 through 18. I believe that completes Redneck, but I'll have to look into that more. Um, I found a couple interesting comics, uh, Tales from the Dark Side. So Joe Hill – who, Ooh, uh, Joe Hill. I love well, Joe Hill. Well, you know what I didn't realize. So Joe Hill – Oh, Gabriel Rodriguez. Joe? So this is the this is the creative team for Lock and Key. Yeah, yeah, complete creative. Do you know who Joe Hill's Hill? father is? Yeah, it's Stephen King. Yeah, yeah. I had no fucking idea. Really, I was just like, oh wow, this Joe Hill's making waves, you know. And it was like, and, and I know him in the authorial circles, but yeah, Lock and Key was basically the thing that was his big come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, and so since then he's had Hill House comics and all this shit. But anyway, so I was like, yeah, that, that's definitely... Is this from Hill House? Is that... Uh, no, this is pre-Hill House. This oh. is an IDW comic. And this was a book... Well, yeah, Oh, yeah. Okay, but uh, is Hill House... It's an offshoot of IDW. No? I thought it was an offshoot of DC, but I don't know. Oh, you oh, that's a good question. Okay, you might be right. Uh, yeah, I might be wrong. I don't know. There's a whole lot of beer in here. Okay. All right, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I... Again, this was just a random founded in the dollar bin thing. I don't really have a lot of complete runs, but it turns out there was a comic on Storm King Comics, which I have never heard of. They're probably deep, deep in the indie woods. Although the fact that they were able to get this license tells me they may not be as indie as I was thinking. But John Carpenter's Tales of Science Fiction. I'm going to go ahead and say no. That is not an indie. (laughs) I have have no idea. I don't know, though. But you know what it could be? It could be like John Carpenter just... DIYing everything exactly. like he's always done. He's like, hey, know? this is my company now. This is the John Carpenter's now. company. Yeah. So yeah, he, he definitely outsourced it. Dwayne uh, Swazirnsky. Yeah? Yeah, I think I got that right. Mm-hmm. I got that right. Anyway, this is just kind of a mishmash, but uh, you know, for a dollar, I'll, I'll give a bunch of these issues a try. It's kind of like, it's different arcs and I might have like a one, two and a five or a three, four and a five. But, uh, you know, it's a dollar, so so who really cares? And then I was filling out my – I have a nice list for Vigilante. Oh, So nice. I got uh, an issue of Vigilante. Yeah. You can uh, see Ed, here. Ed's a fan. Yeah. Ed's a fan of Vigilante. Yeah. You can see here that I got a few more issues of Stray Bullets, oh, both yeah. the original series and also the Sunshine and Roses series, each of which I think went to 41 issues for some reason. Oh, okay. Um, I'm curious. I wonder how many copies of uh, Stray Bullets I have. Yeah, well, you know, I because I I collect, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was the first comic in the '90s that was not an image comic that I that I got into. Mm. And then after reading Stray Bullets, I started getting into random stuff, and those kind of became the the comic indie darlings at yeah. that time. Yeah, was a uh, Stray Bullets and Scud the Disposable Assassin. And yep. so I have 
many copies of both of those books. Yeah, random thing. When I was a sales rep, again, I was I was young. I wasn't too far out of college, but I worked for Capital City Distribution, which was the other distributor to Diamond back in the 90s. Obviously, we can tell which side won there, right? right One right. side acquired the other. and um, But I remember going around to shops because what happened was com companies went exclusive with one distributor or the other. Capital City and ended up with like nothing. We ended up with Kitchen Sink, Fanagraphics, and Viz, hmm. which, you know, time has smiled very well on, you know. Uh, but, Fanagraphics, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, still dude, around. Viz, Viz is like revolutionary. Are know? they still around though? Dude, Viz is still around. And I, really? I, mean, I would oh, make shit. the argument that, that manga was always going to be big, but I think that definitely was a, a ladder rung at minimum. At minimum, Capital City getting such a, you know, by Viz being like one of their biggest publishers, basically. You had sales reps out, out there promoting Viz to comic shops, you know, so. Oh, Rachel Rising. Terry Moore is one of the indie Mount Rushmore people. And I think I've been looking at a lot of Terry Moore. I never really knew what Rachel Rising was about. So I just went with a big, like, discombobulated run here. You can see it starts at 15, has some healthy percentages in the 20s, and then goes from there. But again, for a dollar, Did know, you ever read uh, Strangers in Paradise? I used to love Strangers in Paradise. And then let it drop off. And then dropped off. Yeah, yeah. and he's, yeah. On his, he's on Serial now, which I think is his third substantial series. Yeah, I, I read the first issue and it didn't hook me. Um, but who knows? You never know. Like it really pays to stay on some of these titles because sometimes it just it's like, look, this is just the introductory. You're kind of getting to know everyone. Yeah. And then they throw you into the mix of things like as it goes on. So um, I don't know that I gave it a fair shake, but I wasn't completely pulled in after the first issue. I mean, Enough stuff goes on. But I was just like, eh, I've been collecting so many different books. That's I mean, budget decisions matter, yeah. you know, and, and I think the, the thing with comics is there's a small percentage of issues, comics, where you read one issue and you're like, oh, my God, I am so in on this. Right. And then there's a there's a decent percentage of issues where you read it and you're like, this is trash or it's not my style or right. whatever. And you just let them go. But then there's a big middle, too, where you almost need to, like, feel it out for a few issues to see if it gets its legs or not. You know, Terry Moore is one of the indie gods. Why not give it a go? And and I think I've been, like everything, you know, you're kind of in the mood to rediscover what you thought you missed before. You know, my wife has repeatedly bashed me for like, don't you ever get rid of anything again, basically. Right. That's what I sold some stuff to SoCal Comics. Um, and I don't regret any of those ones specifically, but at the same time, there was more that was supposed to go in those boxes that I was like, I don't know. I don't know. There's something, might be something here. Like I had a nice run of, I think it was Justice Society of America. And um, I was ready to give it up. And I was like, nah, I'm, I'm going to hold on to these. Because you never know. I don't know if any characters got debuted in those that series. Yep. So uh, uh, the last thing you want to do is go, oh, hey, uh, uh, what is it? Magog or whatever got introduced in that series and you just got rid of it. And now he's in the next DC movie. Yep. And now that thing's worth 300 bucks. And exactly. you're just like, shit, I paid $2 for it. And I sold it to, to them for a nickel. Yep. As like the indie creator, quote unquote dream, right? Is that your IP gets bought by somebody or that somebody wants to like acquire your IP and explore it. Well, that applies at the, at the big boy level. Nothing is safe. That's what it's told me. Cause there have been plenty of comics where I was just like, this is shit, you know, get rid of it. And True. then it turns out that like, oh, look, that introduced, I mean, when I got rid of 
I think it was what Spidey 361, the first debut of Carnage. It was just like, whatever, I like Carnage, but you know, hey, $10 is a good amount for me to sell this for. I paid one, you know? And uh, God, I don't even want to look up what the fuck that is, you know, now yeah. that it's in a movie and all that. Yeah, stuff, exactly. You know? Proof Perfect is, um, uh, what is it? Uh, US agent. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, that was probably a five, $5 book at most. Probably a $3 book before he debuted in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. Now it's a $50 book. The first appearance of Dr. Afra on Speculation is 200 On the Daniel Warren Johnston thing, you know, you reminded me of Extremity. You got first dibs in the dollar bins, but you were able to grab me one, two, nine, and I think, what was this, 12? 12, maybe? yep. Mm -hmm. So I can give that a go. Um, speaking of indie gods, I found a dollar uh, version of Shazam by Jeff Smith. Another indie god. Yeah, uh, creator um, of Bone for the people out there. Yes, exactly, exactly. And Razzle. Oh, and they got that right on the cover. An all-new yeah. Shazam adventure by the award-winning creator of Bone. Yeah, um, and now we start to get into some books that are, are a bit of a descendant from our trip to Spiro's Heroes. I took a lot of chances on those books, like we talked about offline. Right. Half of them have been trash, complete trash, just like... I was like, why did I even think I would like this, you know? And we yeah. talked about one in the car. Well, okay, so was any of the saving graces of those where you're like, the story's trash, but at least I like the art? Oh, totally. A lot of them you picked out for me because you're like, Keith will like this art. And yeah. you totally nailed it. And and the ones that, that like hurt the most in a way are the ones where the art is just so cool. And, and the story was just like, come on, man. You know, ah, yeah. Getting, getting back to this, I think we talked about it offline, this idea of like shorthand. You know, that it just, if a hero is like a total badass who's retired and just has a ton of sex, you know, it's kind of like that bores me. You get that sometimes, you know, but, um, but anyway, so what we have here is some books that I tried or had an issue from because of that run to Spiros Heroes um, that you picked out in both cases, but uh, maybe I picked out one and you picked out the other, but they were amazing. I read those one issue issues and i was just like this is the shit so one of them is cross bronx which i thought was pretty good definitely worth a couple dollar books by michael von uh, aiming or oming oming um who i think first kind of rose to prominence oh, yeah. on powers, powers. yeah and uh, but he he writes and and draws this stuff so i like oh, right on oh he's the writer as well yeah yeah, yeah. I, I liked the one issue of cross bronx enough to kind of get down with it and then another book which i just think is incredible Airboy. Mm -hmm. um <laughs> that one was definitely my wreck yes i love that title i read it in trade and was was uh no wait did i read it in singles i picked it up in trade and i was like yeah this, this is the fucking shit it's at at spiro's heroes i got i got one through four complete which is the story um just now and uh like be warned people out there and again i don't know if the rest of the story is like this i get the feeling it's like super Hunter S. Thompson. I love it. A book about the creative process and how like fucked it is and how like they just they just do a ton of drugs instead of like actually thinking of a book and it is just complete chaos. It's fantastic. Holds to it. I can't wait. I can't. Yeah. And it's by James Robinson. Yeah. And I think it plays on that because so much of his stuff is about like taking golden age heroes and doing stuff with, you know, right. his most which, notable Which book. is exactly what Airboy is. Airboy is a golden age uh, character. Uh, I believe it's in, it has to be in public domain for them to be doing what they're doing with these characters in this book. And James Robinson is in the book himself. Yes. Him and the artist, uh, Greg Hinkle, are both depicted in the story 
uh, of Airboy. Amazing. So it's fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. Just just know that like your tolerance for raunch better be pretty high. It's not for kids. No. No, 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 no. Uh, and then uh, a huge run of Hillbilly here. You know, like you, uh, again, we found two complete runs of, of Red-Eyed Witchery from Beyond. I couldn't pass on it for a dollar, even though I had gotten it direct from the publisher. And then I found the Hillbilly Basic Series, because it was good enough, even though there's no Simone de Mayo um, in that. Uh, I found five through 12, maybe, something like that. So again, for a dollar, totally worth it. Uh, in terms of protector, I liked enough of what you showed me that uh, we were able to get me a protector number one, which was pretty cool. And uh, you know, no other issues, but I can keep on hunting. And then I filled a little bit of a gap in Murder Falcon, by number six and eight. I think I'm still missing one or two, if I remember right. But I think that might do it, too. Oh, right. And then, um, then after that was just filling out, I think I these, this is the, the carryover of my run on, on Redneck. So Yeah, man. That's, that's a ton of books, man. And they yeah. all look great. Those are all yeah. fantastic pickups. Um, I could see why you were having some issues cutting at the end there. You're like, look, I need to get these ones, and then now I'm over. So uh, I could see the dilemma. Yeah, and, and like no speculation this time, right? Like, I mean, speculation not in the monetary sense, but in the will I like it sense. You know, this these books are all the result of something that either I know I like or that I think I will like based on the creator. Right. Because Daniel Warren Johnson is now hit on two things, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, and Beta Ray Bill. Why would I not like the other stuff he did at some point? Especially when one of them is like, fucking cross culture with you you know what i mean it's just like yeah. comics and metal oh my okay God. why wouldn't you like there's certain comic book creators where you're just like i'm riding with you and i i get the feeling daniel warren johnson is going to be that dude you yeah know? 